Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. I want to begin the message with a statement and ask you if you agree with this statement. Are you ready? During the pandemic, people's behavior has been strange in ways that none of us expected. Yeah, I thought you would agree. And why do you suppose that is? Well, I have a theory. My theory is that we have been dealing during this difficult season with uncertainty in unprecedented ways. You mix the pandemic with political upheaval, and it's just a tsunami of uncertainty. And uncertainty can breed fear, and fear can lead to failure. We'll see that in our story of the Apostle Peter today, as well as in our own lives. Because even though all of us can look back upon failures in our past, there is good news, and it's our big idea for today. God's grace is greater than your worst failure. It's greater than your worst failure and mine. We're wrapping up the series, Divine Invitation, and you may remember that, and by the way, I'm going to need a little bit more monitor. I guess I'm just hearing a lot of echo. Uh, Is it too loud out there to y'all? Okay, so bring down the house a little bit and the monitor up, if you would, please. Thank you so much. All right, that's, that's good. Is that better out there? Okay, good. Uh, Divine Invitation has been a series about the memoirs, if you will, of the Apostle Peter. As he remembers his time with Jesus over the three years of Jesus' earthly ministry that they spent together, the, the Gospel of Mark is Peter recounting those stories, those memories that he's been telling over and over again for 35 years plus since the resurrection of Jesus. And they come to us, first recorded by John Mark, and then in written record that was distributed to the early church and the early Christ followers, and then finally into what we would call the canon or the assembly of sacred scripture, Uh, and it's the gospel of Mark of our New Testament. And there are several powerful themes in the gospel of Mark, but the one that we have pulled out for this uh, series is the theme of the kingdom of God. And the the first week we looked at this, this theme, and it's become really the theme for the entire series. And it is, the kingdom of God has come, and you are invited to be a part of it. That's exciting news. The kingdom of God has come, and you and I are invited to be a part of it. Now, as Jesus talked of the kingdom of God, and he told his disciples that he was the Messiah, they still thought of Messiah as an earthly king as someone who would arrive on the scene and overthrow Rome as their oppressors and elevate Israel to world prominence, even though Jesus had said to them again and again, my kingdom is not 
of this world. And yet they still thought of Jesus as the the Messiah who would establish an earthly kingdom in their lifetime. But Jesus tried to tell them that his mission from the Father was far different, far broader, more eternal than a, a, a short earthly kingdom in the timeline of human history. And we saw this verse in last week's episode, Mark 8, 31. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later, he would rise from the dead. And that happened just as Jesus predicted. After Jesus had shared that last meal with his disciples that night that Judas slipped away into the night in order to betray Jesus. After Jesus and the disciples had gone to the Garden of Gethsemane for Jesus to pray, and the disciples couldn't even stay awake to pray with Jesus. We come to the time when Jesus was arrested. And so we begin our narrative today in the 14th chapter of Mark, verse 43. If you have your own copy of the Scripture, I welcome you to open it there. We'll be looking at a couple of different passages interwoven with this, but this will be our main narrative for today. Mark 14, beginning with verse 43. And immediately, even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders. The traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Then you can take him away under guard. As soon as they arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus. Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him the kiss. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Let me pause in the narrative here to say it's interesting to me that Mark's gospel does not designate who it was that took his sword and cut off the servant's ear. Uh, And we don't know if this omission was on Peter's part or on John Mark's part. But what we do know from the parallel account in John's gospel is exactly who it was. John 18 verse 10 says, Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. It was Peter. Peter reacted out of fear and anger and uncertainty as to what was happening around him. And the parallel account in Luke's gospel gives us yet another insight to this scene as we see an act of unselfish love and mercy from Jesus toward a man who would be one of those who would lead him toward death. 
Luke 22, verse 51. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. And as we return to the narrative in Mark's gospel, in verse 48, Jesus addresses those who have arrested him. Jesus asked them, am I I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? (laughs) Now stop and think about that for a moment. How ironic is it that they arrived with a show of force with a, a, a large number of soldiers and others who were armed to arrest Jesus. This big show of force, not realizing that the one that they had come to arrest had legions of angels at his command. And with one word, he could have summoned them to protect him and to rescue him. But because he had a mission from the Father, he spoke not such a word. Verse 49, he speaks again to those who are arresting him. Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there among you teaching every day. But these things are happening to fulfill what the scriptures say about me. And at this point, the disciples' faith and courage and confidence all just melted away. And they disappeared with these sad words in verse 50. Then all his disciples deserted him and ran away. The heat was on. And the disciples were gripped with fear. And they bailed on Jesus. The verse says they deserted him and ran away. It was every man for himself, and they all disappeared into the night. Verse 53, they took Jesus to the high priest's home where the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law had gathered. Where were the disciples? Where was Peter? Peter, who had promised Jesus he would never desert him even if all the other disciples did. Where was he? Verse 54 tells us. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and went right into the high priest's courtyard. There he sat with the guards, warming himself by the fire. Peter was hiding in plain sight. He had the curiosity to want to know what was going on with Jesus, but he had not the courage to stand up for him. And when we think about us, one of our greatest failures is when we hide in plain sight as Christ followers. When we are surrounded by those who desperately need the Savior whom we know, love, and allegedly serve. And yet we are silent and we stay hidden. Why? Out of fear. Fear that we won't be liked. 
Fear that someone will make fun of us. Fear to stand up and speak for the one who died for us so that we might have a new life of being free and forgiven. We hide in plain sight out of fear. Meanwhile, verse 55, inside, the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they couldn't find any. Many false witnesses spoke against him, but they contradicted each other. Finally, some men stood up and gave this false testimony. Quote, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another made without human hands. Now, Jesus had made a similar statement to that, but he was not talking about the temple building. He was talking about his own body, that it would, it would die and yet be raised to life, to be built again. But these false witnesses didn't even hear Jesus make that statement. They had been prompted and practiced with those associated with the Pharisees, but they couldn't even lie well. Look at verse 59. But even then, they didn't get their story straight. Then the high priest stood up before the others and asked Jesus, Well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent and made no reply. Then the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? By Jesus' willingness to suffer, he had proven himself to be the suffering servant that Isaiah had prophesied about centuries ago that we still have in our Old Testament. But now he was confronted with the question, are you divine? Are you the Son of God? Are you the Son of the Blessed One? And it was time for Jesus to declare. Verse 62, Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Amen. With that declaration of Jesus' divine nature, the Pharisees, the high priest, and everyone in the room that day had a choice to make in that moment. They could believe in him. They could believe that he was who he claimed to be and that he was worthy of worship, that he was worthy of commitment, that he was worthy of being followed as the Son of God. Or they could remain in their unbelief and declare themselves to be his enemies. And tragically, eternally tragically, they chose the latter. Verse 63, then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, why do we need other witnesses? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they all cried. He deserves to die. And they then unleashed on the sinless Son of God, 
a violent, torturous, blasphemous outrage. Verse 65. Then some of them began to spit at him, and they blindfolded him and beat him with their fists. Prophesy to us, they jeered. And the guards slapped him as they took him away. And while Jesus is enduring this, where was Peter? Where was Peter who said he would die for Jesus? He was hiding in fear. Verse 66. Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. You see, when the heat is on, when we have to decide whether or not we're going to stand up for Jesus, there's two different ways that we can react. When we act in faith, we will show courage. But when we act out of fear, we will seek comfort. And that's exactly where Peter was. Verse 66 continues, One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. She looked at him closely and said, You were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entryway. Just then, a rooster crowed. When the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling the others, this man is definitely one of them. Can you feel it? The pressure is building. People were talking. Peter had been with Jesus for three years. He'd been seen in many different places following Jesus. It was becoming more and more likely that he would be identified as a Jesus follower. And the pressure was building. Verse 70. But Peter denied it again. A little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter and said, you must be one of them because you are a Galilean. Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. Now the curse here that is mentioned is not profanity. Peter is saying, may God do this to me or may God do that to me if I ever followed Jesus. He was proclaiming in the most powerful way he knew how, that he knew nothing of Jesus. And God, who even controls roosters, caused something to happen in that moment, verse 72. And immediately... The rooster crowed the second time. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he broke down and wept. Christ follower, let me ask you a question. Have you ever failed Jesus? Have you ever had an opportunity to act like a Christ follower but you didn't? 
Have you ever had an occasion that you had an opportunity to speak a witness for Jesus Christ who saved you from sin? You had an opportunity, but you remained silent? Has there ever been a time that your heart was broken because you knew you had broken his heart by the way that you had failed him? If your answer is yes, can I let you in on a secret? We've all had failures. We've all failed him. There's not a single one of us that has not failed Jesus. But I bring you good news today. Our failures should refine us, but they don't have to define us. Our failures should refine us and make us more like Jesus, but they don't have to define us. That's not who we are. Because if we repent, if we seek the grace and mercy and forgiveness of our Savior, the Word of God tells us that He will forgive us and He will restore us. And we can actually become stronger from our failures. We can become better. We can become more like Jesus because God's grace is greater than your worst failure. And despite his failures, the kind of faith that Peter had would become the bedrock of the early church. And your faith can be just that strong despite any failure of your past. If Peter can receive the mercy, grace, forgiveness, and restoration of Jesus, so can you, and so can I. So, let me wrap up our series by asking you three questions. And think about this in light of your own heart and life. Here's the first. Is there a failure in your past that God has forgiven you for, but you haven't forgiven yourself? Is there something that you just can't seem to let go of, even though you've asked God to forgive you, and you were sincere and genuine and broken and repentant? Not just sorry you got caught, but sorry that you broke God's heart and you came before God in brokenness and confession and he forgave you of that sin. Listen, the scripture says if God has forgiven us, that's all that matters. Listen to the words of the apostle Paul, who by the way, had a lot more to be forgiven for than you or I. Here's what Paul said in Romans 8, beginning with verse 33. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting at the right hand in the place of honor, at God's right hand pleading for us. Hmm. If there's a failure in your past that God has forgiven you for, but you haven't forgiven yourself, 
and hear what he's saying to you today. And here's another question that's really related to that. Are you letting regret steal your joy in Christ instead of fully embracing God's grace and forgiveness? You see, you can live in the pit of regret. You can live never letting go of that failure in your past and just hearing the voice of the enemy saying, you're not good enough. Do you remember what you did? How you failed God? And you can live in the pit of regret rather than living in the joy of Jesus because regret will steal your joy. And I'm urging you, let go of the regret of your past and cling to the joy of the Lord in your present. It is wonderful to live in the joy of the Lord. And there's not a failure in your past that should keep you from that joy in Jesus. And so that brings me to the last question. Will you today let go of the failures of your past and move forward in your faith journey as God's forgiven child? Listen, here's what we learn from the Apostle Peter's story. If Peter can be forgiven and restored after how he failed and then go on to preach the great sermon on the day of Pentecost, after which more than 3,000 people came to faith in Christ, if God can forgive and restore Peter, he will do so for us. And there is nothing in your past that is greater than God's grace. Because God's grace is greater than your worst failure. You're here today, and there's something on your heart for which you need to pray. In just a few moments, there will be prayer partners here at the altar, our deacons and their wives and other church leaders. They'll be here to pray with you about anything that's on your heart, a friend who is sick, Something in your life that God needs to touch. Perhaps you want to come and and pray for that fallen officer that perhaps you've seen on the news. That breaks my heart every time I see that. It doesn't it yours. It just breaks your heart. There ought to be something that you need to pray for, and coming to the altar to pray with these godly leaders is a wonderful thing. There are some of you who have physical ailments, and if you'll come to the front, we'll anoint you and pray over you and ask God to heal you. If you're here today and the Lord's speaking to your heart about getting off of that spiritual plateau and moving forward in your faith journey to take the next step of your faith journey, whether that's asking questions about faith that you've not yet come to to faith in Jesus, or you're ready to take that next step that means stepping across the line of faith and becoming a Christ follower, or you're already a Christ follower, maybe for many years, and you need to take that next step of recommitment to Him, whatever your next step would be, even if you're not sure what it would be, if you'll come and speak to one of 
the prayer partners here at the front and just simply say, I need to take the next step. That's all you need to say. I need to take the next step. They'll help you know how to take that step and how we can support you to do that. So would you stand with us, please, as I pray? And then we invite you to the altar of prayer and the place of commitment. Heavenly Father, we pray today for those who have come into this service with a burden. There's something on their heart that's heavy. It may be in their life. It may be in the life of another that they care about. And the scripture says where two or more agree on something in prayer, that you hear that prayer and you respond to their faith. Lord, I pray for those who are ill today and who need to be anointed and prayed for as James chapter 4 teaches us. And I pray that they would have the freedom to come and be prayed for that they might be healed. Lord, I especially pray for those who need to take the next step in their faith journey, whatever that step needs to be. Help them to come and simply to say, I need to take the next step so that these godly leaders can show them what that means in their life and how they can step toward Jesus and bring him honor and glory. We pray for these next few moments. May your Holy Spirit have control. May every person in this service, whether they come forward or remain where they are, may we make this a sacred time of prayer before the throne of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.